a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Saturday show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning up and down the Wasatch Front or beyond that on the KSL Sports app. This is the Saturday show. That is Michelle Bodkin. How are you, Michelle? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. I'm Jay Catch. How are how is everybody? And we got Sarah producing for us. Sarah, you got some news. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm starting off. We're going right we're going yeah. right out of the gate. Right into the weekly highlights. Uh-huh. And if you have anything other than what happened the other night, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be floored. But Tell everyone no, what happened. there's only one big thing. I got engaged. <laughs> Yay! Congratulations. Yes. So That's exciting. awesome news. Yes. Now, uh, obviously, you've been working with the station for, are we at a year yet? Not yet. Okay. Close. Okay. I think September is my okay. year mark. Very cool. Well, all the same. Big moves, obviously. Congratulations. Glad uh, your your boyfriend finally stepped up to the plate. I know you'd been. I, I don't want to pull the curtain back too far, but you kind of like were hinting that this was going to happen at some point. Yes, I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know the how. Okay, I guess. Got and it. yeah, our date is in November, so I was like, Sweet. we gotta we gotta make this happen pretty soon here. <laughs> Get a move on, dude. Hello, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Make it happen. You know, it's, it's awesome. I'm very happy for you. Thank you, thank you. Yes. All right. So yeah. So she has the highlight of the week. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> any of us say is gonna top that. <laughs> Making moves like that, it's kind of hard to beat. But anyways, hope y'all are doing well. Michelle, you got a highlight of the week for you. So I've been off this past week. So if you've like noticed that it's been a little quiet on the Utah front, that's why. Uh, Enjoyed just, some downtime. Just taking some downtime. Uh, but. This is so lame. I think the highlight of my week was I finally got around to like dusting my car and vacuuming and washing. <laughs> like, okay. guys, it was really sad, sad and gross. And uh-huh. I like one of my things is I like I am not a neat freak by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. But I do have kind of a little bit of a thing about my car because my car like people see me get in and out of it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I try to keep that a little bit cleaner and I just let it go way longer than I should have. So, 
Well, here's the thing. My wife uh, lovingly refers to my car as my mobile office because I'm mm-hmm. going everywhere here, there, and everywhere all the time. I've tried to make it a point uh, to clean it regularly, but I'm with you. It's been minutes, so I need to get mine done here pretty quick. But hey, it's it, it makes you feel a lot better once it's actually all done. Though. It does. The unfortunate thing, though, is I also need to do something about my closet. And we have every time I've walked in, I'm like, huh, yeah, I should do something about that. And I have time off. But nah. The <laughs> week off. Should I do that? Nah. nah. Yeah. No, I, I, I will try and do it, actually, once I'm done here. Oh, hey. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you enjoyed some downtime. Uh, highlight of my week, honestly, was just uh, hanging out with my kids. They're both mm-hmm. They're just both uh, getting to the age where they think it's cool that things are going on in the world, essentially. They want to go okay. out and play all the time. So we just, had, we just had a lot of fun this week just going out and doing our thing. So uh, good to hang out with them. But hope you all are doing well out there wherever you're tuning in from. Uh, by the way, I probably should extend this out. If you guys got a highlight of the week, send it in via social media. would be happy to give you guys a shout out. Yeah. If you want to interact with the show, we'd love nothing more than that. Uh, you can find Michelle Bodkin, KSL Sports. I'm at Jacob C. Hatch. And then Sarah, it's Sarah Hosian, correct? Uh, and her last name is H. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. No, you did it right. Okay. You, you said it right. I, I pronounced it correctly, but spelling it, I couldn't, I, I didn't even know how to start there. Which, by the way, it's, uh, you're, I, mean, I don't know what your plan is with your with your fiance. You could have an incredibly long last name if things I'm, work out. I'm not hyphenating it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on For the now. sake of my license. Because your I'm, license would be extended. Yeah, I'm not hyphenating it. He's Polynesian, so yeah. that should say enough. Oh, it's, yeah. No, no. It's a long And if you, if you put her her, it, your, right. your maiden name, if you were to put it with, I was, I was like, <laughs> that'd be a very long name. It's like this. Have you ever seen uh, Jared Saltalamakia who played catcher in Major League Baseball? He's got the longest uh, nameplate on uh, a Major League Baseball jersey. It literally Are goes from like kidding? the middle of his back to the other side of his. Like oh, it's just man. so long. So wow. yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not high. I already decided that. <laughs> I'm not hyphenating that, That's it. not happening. All right, cool. Well, Fair, fair. Uh, let's actually have some fun and talk a little uh, football. Also, we're talk some basketball coming up on today's show. I'm going to be joined by a good friend of mine, Josh Neighbors. I uh, works for 365 Sports as well as um, a couple other radio stations. He's going to talk a Big 12 Media Days with us, give a little bit of a preview of what to expect next week. And we'll have a lot of fun along the way as well. So let's get right into it. This is What's the Big Deal? Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. All right, uh, let's dive in. Uh, the Big 12 has announced both all uh, the preseason All-Big 12 team as well as their uh, media poll, the preseason media poll, Michelle, and I was lucky enough to be able to vote on both of those. Uh, let's start off with the media poll. I want to get your thought on this. BYU going into the Big 12, 14-team league, and the Cougars checked in at number 11 on that list. Uh, most people I had talked to just kind of getting their feel for where they had voted for the Cougars. Uh, one told me they had BYU as high as nine. Another told me they had them as low as 13. So I expected them to kind of be in that 10, 11, 12 range, honestly. So checking in at 11 wasn't all that surprising to me, but what say you? Yeah, I I think that's probably a good spot. Um, and I know I know BYU fans are not going to love me saying that. And, and it's no it's no disrespect. It's just uh, 
unknown. It's an it's an unknown sort of sure. thing. And I mean, here's the thing: is what matters is what happens out on the field. Like yeah. you always try and have a starting spot, uh, but but the whole point is you prove it out on the field. And so it doesn't matter what ultimately what we the media think <laughs> about. You know. Where what are where, you talking where you're about, Michelle? Start. Come on now, we 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 make all the call. No, just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes, we have the power. <laughs> where where we say you are, you will be. No, yeah. uh, I, I mean BYU has a prime opportunity here. I mm-hmm. think to surprise some people if if they want to. And here's the thing: is I would not be shocked if they do better than eleven. But I think you know, kind as you kind of said that. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 range probably was a good spot for them and, sure. and was kind of the most likely place that they would end up. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and how the first year goes. It it got me curious, um, and I tried to, I was telling you off air, I tried mm-hmm. to look into, you know, where exactly was Utah placed when they made this jump. And it's a little, I, I was having a tough time trying to figure it out because at that time, Pac-12 was still doing divisions, and so you voted by division. Uh, Utah was voted to come in third in the South Division, but USC— They were on probation. They were on probation, so they technically didn't count even though they got the first first place votes for the South. Um, So that technically put Utah second in the South. Um, Ultimately, I know they ended up fifth in the South, but I don't know— when you add in the North rankings, where that kind of put Utah to start with. Um, so it, but again, it just, it's one of those things. It doesn't matter ultimately what any of us say. It matters what the production out on the field is. And that will ultimately be the tell all there. Well, now, and then the thing is, I, similar to you, I was kind of thinking back when Utah entered the Pac 12. And I, I was thinking back on that. We all know that Utah came out of the gate. Pretty strong, all things considered, that first year. And you mentioned the fact that USC was uh, ineligible for the postseason at that point due to the NCAA uh, uh, penalties or whatever, sanctions, whatever you want to call it. So that changed the whole calculus for for Utah's chances. But yes, the interesting part is that there were divisions at that point. So mm-hmm. you you all you really needed to do was to rise to the top of that division. And many of us will recall that first year. They had a chance. They had a chance. They were going into- Coleman Peterson! <laughs> Yeah, well, they, Poor were, kid. they were going into that game against Colorado. They like, we win this game. We're playing in the Pac-12 yep. title game year one. Yeah. And things didn't work out, obviously. But And then the USC, not USC, UCLA snuck into that title mm-hmm. game at, what were they, 6-6 six and six or whatever they were? It was cr- Their record wasn't horrible. I don't remember what it was. But regardless, Utah had a really, really good start. Yeah. But then the next two years sunk back a little bit. The back-to-back mm-hmm. five and sevens, obviously, that uh, raised all kinds of questions about, okay, did they just catch lightning in a bottle for year one and then sink back? I think the bigger thing for this with BYU is is they're picked in a spot where uh, if you're 11th in the league, six and six is probably the goal here. Like That's, mm-hmm. that, that's just kind of where you project to be. And I think I've talked on this on my podcast. I've talked on this show that I think if you get to bowl eligibility, you're one here for BYU. It's a pretty good debut, all things considered, because you're making a jump that Utah's made, TCU has made, like, and they all had their issues mm-hmm. in the early going. So, I think the BYU, and I'm I'm, I'm speaking as if I'm Kalani Satake, but I think the the thinking's got to be inside the program that hey. We're 11th. We get to carry an underdog chip on our shoulder. And now let's go out and shock some people. And that and that's kind of it, right? And that that 
largely is the Utah model. And Mm -hmm. again, we've talked a lot about we have people involved with BYU that are in the top coaching spots that under understand what Utah did to eventually get where they wanted to be in the Pac-12. Um, you know, and so a lot of that's going to be deployed, I think, for BYU. Why Why would you not? Obviously, it took some time, but the model worked. Yes. Uh, there, there's proof in the pudding the sure. model worked. Yeah. Uh, so why you wouldn't, you know, take a page out of that book? And part, part of that was you may not be the most talented team, the most or oh, gosh, I was about to say. <laughs> the most deepest team. That is not good English, people. Uh, you, you may not be the deepest team. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you you're, you might have more things to work on than other people to start with. Sure, yeah. But a chip on your shoulder can make up for a lot of sins. Well, and the other thing about this is you and I both know that Kalani Sitake learned at the feet of Kyle Whittingham. He, mm-hmm. also, he also obviously played for the legend Lavelle Edwards and always wanted to emulate those two, essentially, when he became a head coach. And Kyle's whole MO, early, at least early on during his run at Utah, especially in the Pac-12, was we're going to be the most physical team you play. Mm-hmm. We're going to beat you up so that the following week, whoever you play is going to get lucky because you're going to be kind of nursing those wounds going into right. that next game. And to your point, that gives you, in a way, an edge over opponents because a lot of opponents aren't willing to go to that same level as you physicality-wise. Kalani's talked during his time at BYU that he wants his team to be physical. He wants them to go out and just wear on teams. And have there been... Teams of his that have been better at that, absolutely. But totally. I think this team in particular, just with the the strength of schedule component being added into this, they do well to I think to lean more into that and say, you know what, we are going to be one of the most physical teams you face. Uh, emulate what Kyle did early on because that's when Kalani was at Utah. That's kind of what they did. His defenses that he was coordinating for Kyle were legendary for beating people up, and that's I think he, something that he realizes. You know what? Yeah, we may not be the fastest, we may not be the the strongest, but what we're going to be, we're going to be the we're going to be the you know toughest team out there. We're going to make sure that you feel us. Yeah, well, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong because yeah. you know the roster a little bit better than I do. But I have seen some things out there. You know that there's some questions about, mm-hmm. especially the defensive backfield uh, for BYU. That yeah. it might it might be a liability, especially with the types of offenses that the Big Twelve tends to like to run, uh, which is a little more high powered down the field. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a little bit of a bad combo, but. What BYU can do to kind of make up for that until they get some of the more, uh, oh gosh, wow, brain fart, uh, better in the backfield, in the defensive backfield, is be strong on the defensive line and get home and cause some disruption and havoc plays up front. So let me me just insert here. Um, In some ways, they've almost got it backwards at BYU right now. On paper... I'm actually of the opinion that the secondary may be their strength on defense okay. right now. I'm saying right now, like going yeah, into yeah, the season. Yeah, yeah. You got two high level safeties in Malik Moore and Micah Harper who are going to be very, very good on the back end. They're, they're able to clean stuff up. You bring in an FCS All American and Eddie Heckard from Weaver State who has played in Jay Hill's defense his entire career. He knows his frontwards and backwards. And then Jacob Robinson on the other side was the hero of the bowl game last year. So. Your front line, your front four guys in your secondary are pretty good, and I think there's some decent depth there. But to your point, Michelle, the history suggests that BYU typically is better up front. Mm -hmm. The weakness last year was Was, up front. That is true. So they've tried to go and address that. Uh, They brought in Isaiah Banya and Jackson Cravens, the former Utah Ute for a hot minute until he went to Boise State. Mm Mm-hmm. To bolster the defensive line. A.J. Vongpachan comes in from Utah State to be the rock in that middle of the linebacking core to hopefully stabilize that. So 
in theory, I get what you're saying because the history of BYU suggests that the secondary typically has been a weak spot. Funny enough, I think going in right now, the secondary, at least day one, in my opinion, is probably the strongest of all the units on defense. Whereas I think the defensive line and linebacking cores kind of got to coalesce around each other and get better as the season goes along. Well, then we're talking about uh, BYU. They're just going to have to do exactly opposite of what I just said. But they need need to get to where you're talking about. Right. But it's just kind of one of those things. And I know that Utah had, I think, the opposite problem when they started. They were very strong on the lines. Maybe didn't necessarily have the depth behind those starters, um, which is where they kind of got into trouble towards the end of the season. Uh, But it was the skill players, the DBs, wide receivers, uh, more of those types of players that they struggled to have and get. And so they, they had to, they had to be big, bad bullies. If what you're saying is true, Mm -hmm. then plays might get away from them up front to start. But that means that the guys in the back are going to have to kind of make up for for some of that and and cover cover some of that. Um, and yeah. I think I think the important thing when you make a jump like this is that you at least have something that you're strong at. Yes. Uh, you're probably not going to be strong at everything making that leap. I I don't think we've seen anybody do that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but have your thing. And so if that's your thing, then be elite at it. Well, and to your point, yes, you need to have something you can just you can, you can rely on. The other thing about this is, and let's let's acknowledge the elephant in the room is BYU's defense was not great last year. Ninety sixth in scoring defense, uh, average uh, rush against them on any given down was in the ninth. The metrics across the board not were not great. kind to BYU. Uh, we uh, we had Darnell Dixon on DJ and PK earlier this week to talk about BYU going into the Big Twelve, and he was like chuckling to himself, and he pointed something I I had I had either forgotten or not noticed. When they played Arkansas, you remember that game in October, Arkansas came out here. Arkansas scored on eight straight possessions against BYU. Oh, Lord. Eight straight. And that that's the game after which, if you believe the reports, that Elisa Tuiaki offers resignation to Kalani Satake. Kalani essentially said, I, I, I'm not letting you go. We're gonna, you're going to be the defensive line coach, essentially. I'm going to step in and essentially help you as the defensive coordinator and get us through the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. But they... They knew that they had a problem. Jay Hill knows defense frontwards and backwards. Kalani Satake knows defense frontwards and backwards. They learned it at the foot up there of Kyle Whittingham. They learned underneath his tutelage. So they know what good defense looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the defense is going to be elite this year for BYU. I'm I, far from it, honestly, I think. But I think they can go from that mid-90s ranking in terms of overall college football. They can get to the 60 range. I think that'd be a market improvement and would give them a much better opportunity to get to bowl eligibility because I think the offense, even with some of the turnover on that offense, Keaton Slovis coming in, et cetera, I think the offense is going to be very, very strong and should be able to help them win some games if that defense can, as I said, jump up into the 60s range. Yeah, uh, I think I think just a little bit of, imp- I think maybe even into the 70s. It pro- sure. probably would make a marked difference for BYU uh, and, and probably be good enough if the if the offense can keep up. Yeah. If the offense can't keep up, we might be talking about a different story. Uh, I, it's, I Again, I am just I'm so fascinated to sit back and actually watch this without like really having to like deep dive, think about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, and not. 
I kind of did with Utah. Like mm-hmm. I, so when they made that jump, I was straddling still, just like being a fan and a student. Sure. And then getting my feet wet. Uh, so it was kind of an interesting time. It's going to be, I like I said, I'm kind of looking forward to just being able to sit back and kind of watch this more as a fan uh, and just kind of take in what this process is and what it's going to look like. Uh, but it, it's, uh, I've said this so many times, it's exciting, yeah. but it's going to be frustrating too. Like, well, uh, yeah. But, but I, I think the best advice I can give is anyone involved with this, whether you're a fan, administration, coaches, players Mm -hmm. like just soak in as much of this as you can because it's a very unique situation and opportunity uh to to be able to grow your brand so to speak like that uh and and just remember the remember the tough times because once you do kind of figure it out the the figuring out part is so much sweeter when you can go back and say, dang, like, <laughs> look yeah. what we came from. That sucked in the moment. Mm-hmm. But, like, how awesome is what we're doing right now? So Well, and that that's the other part about this is it, 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 this is a whole new era of first for BYU. Mm-hmm. Their first Big 12 media days. I'll be I'll be down there for it next week. Their first Big 12 game is going to be in Lawrence, Kansas. Like they, I was on a, a radio station in Lawrence yesterday talking about this very thing, and they're like, well, what's the thoughts? I'm like, BYU fans are ecstatic. That's mm-hmm. the thing about this. They, they are super excited simply to be at the Power 5 level. This is what they've dreamed of having for years. Mm-hmm. They saw Utah make the transition. They saw TCU make the transition, and they are like, "Hey, we want that too." And that's they're now going to get that. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned, are there going to be ups and downs? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But to your point, keep the perspective on the fact that like, this is what you dreamed of. Yeah, it's not going to go swimmingly right out of the gate. If it does, I'd be worried in a way because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, if it if all goes well for you, like from the get go, then just enjoy you're, you're enjoy a that life. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I I I would not guarantee I would not guarantee that to you. And, yeah. and again, this is coming from a little bit of experience because I think there was a little a little bit of expectation that Utah would just. Well, it depended on who you asked. If you sure. asked the people that were there, Utah was going to be the doormat and, <laughs> you know, a, an easy win year in and year out. If sure. you asked people at Utah, not necessarily Kyle Whittingham, because I, I, he made it very clear that he knew this was not going to be easy and that people were delusional. Yeah. Uh, but, like, the the fan base, and I think even, like, some of us media personalities um, and, and even like people kind of a little more familiar with Utah, mm-hmm. not necessarily fans of Utah, but just like familiar with what Utah does and what their brand is, I think maybe expected them to be a little more dominant out of the gate. And they kind sure. of were, but they kind of weren't. Uh, and, and so I think it was just, it was one of those things like Utah's, Utah up to that point had been enough of like these bigger name brands that it was like, well, how hard can it be? Well, it, it is considerably harder when it's literally week in and week out. Uh, and, and you are going against people that you're on a more even recruiting level with. And, and it's just, you're competing with everything. You're competing for co- good coaches. You're competing mm-hmm. for good players. 
you're competing out on the field to try and win. Like it just, it there's everything's a competition. Uh, and so, and it's much harder because you're with people that can also offer the same things. Sure. And, and so you've kind of got to figure out, you know, what is your niche niche? What is your cell? Who are you going after? What's your identity going to be like? And these are not necessarily questions that sort themselves out right out of the gate. It's, uh, you, I think you do kind of end up having to have a bit of a feel for what it is you're doing, where you are, who who you're competing with, some of that kind of stuff. So it's it's going to be a fun adventure. I'm so excited. Well, to your point, that's absolutely. The, I think what you just got to you got to keep it all in perspective mm-hmm. here and work, look forward. The one thing that I think that I think some of us have overlooked. I've overlooked it myself. Is the fact that BYU, as compared to Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, who are coming in alongside them, BYU has far and away played far more Power Five opponents in the last three or four seasons. They played, they played seven. That was the year they went five and zero against the Pac twelve. Was that twenty twenty one or whatever it was? Yeah, it was twenty twenty one. They went six and one that year against Power Five opponents. So they, yes, your point is well taken. They're not wholly unfamiliar mm-hmm. with playing Power Five opponents on a regular basis in Independence, but this is seven's one thing. Mm-hmm. Ten and having ten straight, mm-hmm. which is what's going to be the case. You're going to open up with Sam Houston State, Southern Utah, and then it's off to the races. It's going to be interesting, but there are some people out there, think, and I've overlooked it. BYU's not unfamiliar playing at this level. The question will be: Okay, now when it's as you mentioned, a week in and week mm-hmm. out thing. How do you hold up? Exactly. And, and that's kind of, that's, I think, what Utah learned and people involved yeah. with Utah kind of learned outside, yeah. like I said, outside of Kyle Whittingham. <laughs> Kyle Whittingham called it. Sure. We, yeah. we should have listened to him. <laughs> should always listen to Kyle. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will come back on the other side. We're actually going to talk a little bit more big picture on the Big 12. We're going to have a good friend of mine, uh, Josh Neighbors, works for 1037 The Buzz down in Arkansas, also the host of The Neighborhood Watch covering the Big 12. That's a podcast, part of the 365 Sports Network. He'll join us next. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM. The KSL Sports Zone. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Jay Catch here, Michelle Bodkin there. Uh, welcome on in. Excited to welcome in a good friend of mine, a guy I've done podcasts with many, many times. He's also a producer down there in Arkansas for 1037 The Buzz, but now host of The Neighborhood Watch, part of 365 Sports and their network. He is Josh Neighbors. Josh, thanks for taking some time. How are you, sir? I am well. Happy Saturday to you all. Same to you. Uh, So uh, getting ready for Big 12 Media Days next week. I know you've got a vested interest in this, obviously covering all things Big 12. Uh, Give me your initial reaction. Uh, A lot of people, Texas picked to win the league for the first time in four years. Uh, Cue the hashtag Texas is back conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your thoughts on Texas being the favorite? 
Yeah, I picked them to win the league. Uh, I was with everybody else. I, I had them in Kansas State one and two, and uh, I think it is it's a combination of things. Number one, this group seems primed and ready for it. Uh, from a talent standpoint, there is there is no debate. They are the most talented team in the Big Twelve. Full stop. And then also, you know, it's the Big Twelve as a conference has gone in, in uh, last three years. Six different teams have played the Big Twelve championship mm-hmm. game, so it kind of makes sense that you know, cyclically speaking, it's uh, it's Texas's turn. And there have been a couple teams that we've kind of we've, we've been able to see coming. Uh, I think K State last year was a really sexy pick in the in the preseason this time of year. And then TCU, like we know, we didn't see them coming. So I think Texas is kind of the one that we do see coming this year, and it makes sense from a talent standpoint. Up front, they invested a lot of the recruiting resources, their scholarships and whatnot. Uh, up front, if you look at those recent recruiting classes, you know guys like Cole Hudson and Kelvin Banks were uh, big members of the last couple of recruiting classes Sark has had, and those guys are now starring you know, in some big roles, guys like you know, Andre Sweat and, and folks like that, too. So both sides of the ball good up front. They have probably the second-best receiving core in the country. I think Ohio State stands alone, I and mean, I think you definitely make the case Texas is number two. And I think Quinn Ewers is kind of uh, in the spot where I right, first year up and down, injuries, inconsistent play. But guys get older, they get better, and I think he's so talented that you'd have to be, you have to play pretty poorly to screw up this situation. I actually think no matter who plays quarterback for Texas, that they should be fine. Between Malik Murphy and Quinn Ewers, they should be able to find a pretty good quarterback. So uh, it feels like you know a team that lost a bunch of close games last year, if they can turn two of those into wins, they'll be right in the Big 12 championship game. Josh, this is kind of an interesting year for the Big 12 because you have the two teams that are eventually moving on to the SEC, but you're also welcoming in four new teams. Uh, just big picture, how do you kind of expect everything to play out in the Big 12, and, and how do you think that kind of sets up for the years following after Texas and Oklahoma finally leave? Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be a, you know, it's a great point because this is going to be a unique season. I mean, people use the word unique a lot, but this is, I can't think of a situation across the country where it's, you know, we've seen four incoming, two leaving, <laughs> but they're all stuck together for the one year. You know, yeah. uh, the the new wife has moved into the house. The old wife has, you know, has not moved out yet, <laughs> and we're going to do it for what you know, six months. We're going to we're going to make this thing work, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. You know, I, I think regardless of what happens, Oklahoma and Texas fans will complain about the officiating on the way out. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think that is that's something that's natural. It already happened last year. Uh, so, you know, they can just they feel like they can blame. And I, I, I know everybody's going to be wanting to take their parting shots at OU and Texas. Uh, ironically, though, you know, I mentioned the Texas part of it. Like, there is a good chance that Texas wins the Big 12. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's – from my perspective, it wouldn't be a them sticking to the conference thing. It'd be part of that natural progression and turnover this league experiences. But nationally, people would be like, there it is. Texas showing why you know they don't belong in the conference anymore. They've outgrown the Big 12, stuff like that. So I'm tracking that storyline for sure. But um, the newcomers, obviously, BYU very much included in that, too. You know, you want to see what it looks like when you get a, a full Big 12 schedule, nine games against the Power 5 schedule, one year removed from being in a, in a, you know, a G5 conference. Josh Neighbors joining us, host of Neighborhood Watch, the podcast, part of 365 Sports, also working for 1037 The Buzz down there in Arkansas. And you mentioned BYU, Josh. Uh, Cougars picked 11th. I, I think most people I had talked to had them pegged anywhere between 9 and 13, depending on the people I had uh, kind of reached out to and gotten their feel for. Uh, where did you have the Cougars ranked, and you think 11th is the right spot for them? Yeah, I had them somewhere somewhere in that range. I forgot exactly where I put them, but somewhere in that range. And you know, when you pick teams, when you pick teams at that point, you know, a fourteen-team league, like it's 
there, there's going to be some variance there. Yes. I think we all know that. But, you know, Jake, you and I have had this conversation a lot about BYU's almost quasi-Power 5 schedule. Um, you know, it is it's, – it's probably as close – it is as close as any of the new schools got to playing a mm-hmm. Power 5 schedule – just because of the way they scheduled, how they scheduled those, some of those remnants are still there, right? I mean, they're actually going to be taking a trip to my neck of the woods and coming to Arkansas this yep. year. So they still have those remnants, like, like we talked about. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you all are more familiar with, with, with the, this year's team than I am, but it's just it's that aspect of it, right? It's the idea that, all right, you know, it, you replace those schools that were uh, G5 schools, and now it's an entire Power 5 schedule. And I, I think about Last year's Big 12, the schools that were down in Iowa State was not very good, but they had a gangbusters defense, a terrible offense. But they made life hell for teams trying to score the football. It was really challenging. And they had a, one of the best defenses in the league, you know, and one of the best defenses in the country. You know, they, their offense had scored, I think, 20 points in, uh, you know, their first, at least 20 points the first, their first 10 games. They would have won like eight of them. Right, I mean that's that's kind of a, a bad team in this league. West Virginia was bad last year. They still swept the Oklahoma schools. That was a bad year, though, for West Virginia. The floor of this conference has been raised, and I think that high floor is actually the more challenging part, as opposed to some folks might think the ceiling is. But, you know, going up against those top teams. I think ultimately the week-to-week grind of playing a higher floor. I mean, good lord, Kansas. You know, Jalen Daniels might be the best player in the field in eleven of the twelve games they play this year, right? I think that's part of you know that's part of uh, this conference now too is that KU is confident, and that kind of changes the entire landscape because there's no bottom anymore at this point. Every school feels like has a decent coach or decent talent, and that is what all of those newcomers will have to deal with and square with uh, in year one and moving forward. Josh, from your perspective, you know, what what are your expectations for the four newcomers into this conference as someone that has covered the conference very well and for a long time without uh, the four newcomers? Yeah, my my expectation is UCF probably has the best chance to be the, the, the this year. It feels like they are the team everybody's looking at because their talent level is it's pretty high and also the coach. Gus Malzahn, to me, I, I'm a huge Gus Malzahn fan. I like him a lot. I think he's a very good coach. Uh, I think that he has invested a lot in that program. That program has invested a lot in itself. And I think because of their location, you know, they are a school that is in SEC country that is going to go now play games in Texas as well often to uh, you know widen that recruiting footprint, uh, widen their scope being now at a Power 5 level. And also, too, they, you know, being in SEC country, they can keep kids in and around home who were either SEC transfers or potential SEC recruits that want more PT or want to move back to home in Florida. And that's a huge, a huge benefit for them. So when you look at who gains the most from kind of the geographic changes, I think they do. And I also think they're a team in year one that's best fit to win just because of the amount of talent and who their coach is. This is not unfamiliar territory and not just not unfamiliar territory. He's had success in the most difficult league in the country in the SEC. So, you know, the Big 12 is a different animal, but he is uh, uniquely, you know, uniquely qualified, I think, out of the four coaches to come in and do well. 
Josh Neighbors joining us, host of Neighborhood Watch, the podcast. Check it out. It's, it's great stuff. Five days a week uh, covering all things Big 12. And Josh, uh, you mentioned uh, UCF, but the other two newcomers in Houston and West Virginia picked right around BYU, I believe 12th and 13th uh, in the poll. Uh, you mentioned the fact that all of these newcomers are coming in. It's kind of that weird range. I, I actually think your analogy is absolutely fantastic. The old wife hasn't moved out, but the new wife, it's, yeah. it's a great analogy. But with these newcomers, do you think any one of them or do you think the group of them have the capability of influencing the conference race this year does that make sense yeah so you know you kind of almost look at the november games like the chance to play spoiler yeah i have a tough time seeing i mean maybe ucf could do it but but like we saw kansas last year put together an amazing first half Mm -hmm. look at what happened to kansas in the second half of last year and a lot of schools were banged up but that depth uh, at a power five level, that stands out late in the season. That's what sets you apart and allows you to finish the year off well is building depth. And uh, these schools, you know, they can try the best they can, but when it gets late in the season and guys go down and, you know, you've got some guys that, you know, maybe aren't power five level or power five level yet and they have to go and play, you know, that that's what's going to – like that's really what separates it. Um you know, those those November games when the guys are tired and playing six or seven straight weeks, you got injuries and stuff, and that depth is where I want to see it. So I'd say if one team has a chance to influence, you know, you see it. I feel like BYU, um, with some of their home games, might have something to say about this race and those difficult environments. I think that BYU environment is the one that folks are most excited to see opposing teams go into. I tend to agree. Cincinnati, I've got – I mean, I'm not super high on that team uh, for this year. Just Scott Satterfield kind of backs his way into that job with Luke Sickle leaving. They do have some playmakers on defense, but I'm just not sure how good the offense is. And are we really sold on Emory Jones starting quarterback? So I've got questions there. And then, I mean, I think Houston, beyond moving to the conference, it's great they've got Dana Holgerson who's had success with A12 before. But they underachieved last year in a big way. And they lost, I mean, Clayton Toon and Tank Dell off the offense bring McCaskill back off the injury. Donovan Smith comes as quarterback. I've got some pretty serious questions. They've made, a, they've made a considerable investment in that football program. I think Houston long-term is going to be A-OK. But this group, I just don't know what the influence that Houston will have on it. So I'd say BYU's got a good chance for home games, and if you want to toss a team in there to possibly you know, be around the Big 12 title conversation, I'd say UCF. But I think most folks in the media, and I'll include myself in there, don't believe those schools – will contend, not just because they're new, but because it's that week-to-week grind, and especially because the Big 12 elevated the floor of the conference the last couple of years. Uh, it makes it more challenging now. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement here with the move to the Big 12, uh, and I'm sure, I, I mean, BYU fans tend to show show up and show out anyway, but there's going to be that added level of excitement because there's the, the newness involved. What are some things that you think fans should like make sure that they check off the list year one heading into the Big 12? Well, I, I would say, you know, enjoy it, right? I mean, just enjoy the fact that this, this is kind of, you know, this journey, it, it's... Um, to the power five is an odd one. And I will say this, I was, I was having a conversation with somebody, uh, Paul Catalina from 365, about what the future of college football is and college sports is. And it's really unclear. It's all driven by television. And we know how kind of fickle the television thing can be and what they want and you know, all kinds of stuff. And will it be a college football super league, much like Champions League in soccer? Like, I, I don't think that's out of the question yet. So I would say enjoy it because there's no guarantee 
that the Big 12's place in college football, uh, especially enjoyed if you're a, you know, a, a new fan, but this is a conference that's like they were on skates uh, a few years ago, right, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving. And now there's, there's some, you know, some solid ground. So enjoy that feeling because we never know how long it lasts for. But, yeah, I mean, the idea, the, the fact that you can go on road trips now and go to places, and BYU is always going across the country and going, you know, really cool places. But, you know, thinking about, like, this year for BYU, the opportunity to go to places like TCU and, you know, get one game at DKR, you get to go to places, you know, like uh, Oklahoma State if you want to go travel and, you know, go see a game at Stillwater. All of those things have now become available. And getting to know the fans, you know, who are excited to go to Provo. I mean, it's, that's part of this uh, experience going to be kind of the mingling of the fan bases and, We'll see what natural rivalries develop. I think there is a thought that the uh, the, the God-fearing schools, if you will, TCU, Baylor, and BYU might have some kind of rivalry, right, because of the religious component. But, um, yeah, you know, I think I'm excited to see the, the natural rivalries that, that develop, uh, you know, throughout time and what kind of dictates that, whether it's in-game stuff, you know, out, outside things like that, uh, coach comments, all that stuff is exciting. Now, Josh, you and I have gone back and forth on this, but uh, obviously the ongoing uh, talk out there and chatter is about conference realignment. Uh, Dennis Dodd writing yesterday that San Diego State is not in the mix for the Big 12. Where do you stand on all this? Do you still think the Big 12 makes a move before long, or do you think they stand pat, at least for the time being? Yeah, Brett Yormark made a comment about 14. Like, yeah. I think there's a balance between creating like a voting block almost, right? Having 14 schools is good, and also if you were to pick up more Power 5 schools, you know, that's good. It's like, hey, are you going to have a – down the line, like we were talking about, are you going to have a college football world where TCU and Oklahoma State and Arizona and Colorado and all these schools are just not involved, right, you know, in, the, in the big show? I think kind of that blo- voting block idea is a is a one school of thought. But also there's the financial part of it, right? I and mean, you need to be adding schools of value. And value, to be honest, at this point, is like not taking money away from everybody else. Because when you look at the – Financial race, I mean, there is a massive gap to what Big 12 schools are making and what, you know, Indiana and Purdue are going to haul in in the Big 10. It's, it's like crazy to think in Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue are going to haul in like, you know, well over double the money that Oklahoma State and TCU might haul in a year. It's odd to think. So you have to make sure you strengthen in a financial sense or not hurt yourself in a financial sense as well when you look at all these calculations. I think they do eventually add more schools. It's just a matter of who it is and where they are. San Diego State, I think it's, it, it makes a lot of sense they wouldn't join. I know Big 12 wants to go out to California and, and get a school out there, but San Diego State, like, if you're not going to join and be a full member, it is expensive to have all of those schools, or all those teams, rather, travel across the country all the time playing all of these sports, and the non-revenue sports. It's just really it's a financial burden. And as much as they want to join the Power Five, it feels like it's Pac-12 or bust for them when it comes to where San Diego State's place could be. So it makes sense for the Big 12 schools to say, you know what? We like to go west. We know Brett wants to, but it just doesn't make enough financial sense for us. All right, Josh. I appreciate you carving out some time for us. Where can people find all of your great work? Find me on Twitter at JoshNeighbors underscore. You guys can find the show at NWPod365. You guys also can find uh, The Neighborhood Watch wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. And I have to say, BYU fans are amongst – they're probably my favorite. I don't like playing favorites, but they they are the nicest. And they're the most supportive. So I appreciate all the folks out there. Uh, if you all have not listened to the show yet, once again, Neighborhood Watch, all the places you find your podcast and YouTube. All right, Josh, thanks again for uh, joining us. And, of course, I uh, hope to see you at Media Day next week, all right? Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. There you go, Josh Neighbors. Great dude. I've actually known him for 
going on three years now. Okay. So does great work, and obviously uh, covering the Big 12, it's it's not an easy thing to cover things at a conference level because there's so many teams. Mm-hmm. Like, you know this, Michelle. You cover Utah, and it's in terms of itself. Trying to keep tabs on 14 teams. Right. Oof. Yeah. It, gig. It, it is interesting when people are like, well, you covered the Pac-12, too, and it's like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, no. <laughs> Like, I, I kind of have my hands very full. Sometimes I don't even know everything that's going on with Utah, if I'm being perfectly honest. Oh, like, yeah, the job is just massive. <laughs> so, yeah, then to try and, like, say or act like I really know what's going on. I mean, like, sometimes I do. Sometimes, you know, something falls in my lap or, or somebody says something. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm always really, really impressed with people that can cover a a whole conference and or that's good at going national like oh my gosh (laughs) yeah and that's the thing about this is it's it's an it's an interesting gig to be able to do all that but josh does a great job you heard him like he Mm -hmm. he he knows he has thoughts on all this and uh it's it's a Good product. That's the best part about it. It's podcast form. He also does stuff down there in Arkansas. I mean, he and I actually went back and forth about three months ago. He's like, you coming down? I'm like, we'll see what happens. He's like, well, you can stay with me. So it's just kind of funny. He's he's looking forward to covering it because, as he says, BYU fans, like anything that talks BYU, they find it. Oh, yeah. Right? Same thing with mm-hmm. Utah, but they've they've interacted with him a lot. Yeah. Oh, I I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> I don't doubt that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will come back on the other side. We'll get into technical fouls. Wrap up hour one of the program right here on ninety seven point five FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Back to, welcome back to the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing well. Time now for technical fouls to talk about uh, what's going on in the sports world. It's kind of more of the negative side or just to make fun of people, honestly. It's kind of, we dunk on people here with this. Occasionally. Uh, occasionally, yes. Uh, but uh, we, got, we got three good ones this week. Where should we start? I'm going to let Sarah start this week. Go ahead, Sarah. All right. Well, mine has to do with basketball. Mm-hmm. And Dennis Rodman got a new tattoo. You might ask where he got it. It's on his face, and it's a tattoo of his girlfriend's face that he tattooed on his cheek. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And that, it's not done very well, if you that's ask That's a bold me. choice. Very bold choice. Yeah, not a wife, a girlfriend. Um, so he's really putting everything on the line with this one. But uh, yeah, you should Google it, because it's very <laughs> interesting. Googling it right I, now. Yeah, I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah. It, Here's the thing, like, I I have two tattoos, but I am very much of the opinion of be very careful about <laughs> what you choose to do. And I purposely made mine small that if I ever get sick of them and I don't want them anymore, it's not going to be awful to get them removed. But, I mean, some people go go. I mean, if, bold. if anyone's going to do it, it's Dennis Rodman. Oh, totally. Totally. But, yeah, I just was a face tattoo. Is already, you know, questionable, questionable. Yeah. let alone getting someone else's face tattooed permanently on your body. Well, his girlfriend's name is Yella Yella. 
That's her name. Oh. And uh, she spoke to TMZ. <gasps> <laughs> it's on the cheek. It's it's right there very prominently featured. <laughs> and it's not small. It's very no. large. And she so apparently she told TMZ that she told him, what are you doing? Don't do this. But he ultimately made the decision to get her face tattooed on his face. So there you go. Oh, the man. Gasp I thought was I, so funny. <laughs> It, she looks like an alien. <laughs> like, I, I, man, I thought the Gucci Mane ice cream cheek tattoo was a strange choice. Uh, yo. Whole new level. <laughs> yellow, yellow. <laughs> quote, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> quote, Yellow Yellow says initially Rodman wanted the portrait to be even bigger than what it ultimately ended up being, which fills up his cheeks. So I don't know how much bigger you can make it ultimately. Leading her to call him both, quote, crazy and uh, unquote, and quote, a wild boy, unquote. Well, we knew both of those yeah. things already. Dennis yeah. Rodman. Uh, he, he didn't need to get that no. cheek tattoo <laughs> to prove that to us. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> Way to go, Rod- way to go, Dennis Rodman. Continue to keep yourself in the headlines. Props to you. All right, uh, Michelle, where are we going next? Well, I mean, you you knew we had to go here. So uh-huh. someone was doing this story. Oh, I, I, trust me, of the two I had, it was one of my two. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, Britney Spears made some sports headlines this week. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, just reaching out, trying to touch people, and then. Fist flew or something. And uh, anyways, as it kind of came about, though, the situation did not play out the way that it was initially reported it played out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the video will always get out. TMZ got copies of boy, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so according to a police report, Spears uh, noticed Victor Wembenyama. Big Vic, as we call Big him. Big Vic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in Las Vegas, tried to get his attention. His security said, nope, uh-uh, not today. Mm-hmm. Don't care that you're Britney Spears. And uh, initially it was reported that his security hit her in the face. Yeah, her security team accused the, it was, I think it's the San Antonio security team of hitting her in the face as she was trying to get his attention. Yeah, go ahead. But... But the video shows a, a slightly different story in that she actually hit herself yeah, in the so face. The security person, she comes up from behind. If you, I'm, Victor Wimanyama is huge. He's seven three and a half well, and without like shoes. Tiny. And yeah, Brittany's not big. So you watch the video. She runs up from behind, which is don't do that, first off. No. And she kinda like she's like hopping, <laughs> trying to get like Get his attention. She, apparently, she's a big basketball fan. I didn't know this. I was reading up on after the fact. But then she ends up tapping him on the shoulder. The security person, as they are trained to do, just tries to get her get her away and kind of swings the arm back. Doesn't necessarily hit her, but kind of pushes her away. Well, that motion ended up having her, the, the momentum, she inadvertently hit herself in the face. <sighs> So, way to go, Brittany. Uh, and baby, one more time. <laughs> I was, I was going to quote uh, it if you did. Yeah, so. well, it's too easy. Yeah. But too easy. It, and you think she would know better as a like, person yeah, as, that's in as the someone spotlight that has herself. to also deal with. Well, she has a security team around her at all yeah. times. Yes. So you I, think she would understand that might not be the best approach? I, I don't. She, I don't know. She must have been hoping for the celeb card to like cancel that out. But, but yeah, you can't come from someone from behind. No. That's just like 
rule number one, celebrity or not, yeah, like you don't ever approach someone from you behind. You don't know what's happening. That security person is trained to protect at all costs. That's what they're paid for, and they did their job. I was going to say, I've taken swings at people that have approached me from behind. It's, so, like, no, you yeah. never approach from behind. Be well, a normal person and introduce yourself from the front. Well, and have your security <laughs> team just run up there and say, hey, uh, Big Vic, uh, Britney Spears is over here. <laughs> and not that hard. I'm just saying. Yeah. I was going to say, is she is she really a fan of Vic? Or is she just trying to get her name out there again? Well, that could also that's be a debated. Great debate as there, well. there, I mean, there is perhaps a mental health component to this as well. It just way yeah. a lot to unpack there. Yeah, um, my one real quick. Uh, hazing is back in the headlines mm. and at Northwestern of all places. Mm. Like mm-hmm. this is one of the bastions of like smart kids. Like this is the Big Ten Stanford. This, this yeah, is the this, SEC's Vanderbilt. Like this is a smart people school first and foremost. Yeah, but so Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern's head coach, who's been there forever, by the way, and he's a, I think he's a pretty solid coach. He's been suspended uh, two weeks without pay, stemming from an independent investigation into hazing within the football program. Uh, they're also uh, not going to be going to their regular training camp site, which is away from campus this year uh, due to this stuff. Uh, uh, so, here's the thing. This is they went one in eleven last year, which is awful. But at Northwestern, a guy like uh, Fitzgerald, who's a legend of that school, an All American, whatnot, he's going to keep his job because they realize kind of what they are and who they are. But this is not a good look. Like, just stop it. No, I, it, this goes back to culture is important, mm-hmm. and I think too many people think that they can get away with not having good culture and it won't ever come out. Yeah. It will always eventually come out. Well, and the thing is, this this stemmed after a complaint made after the 2022 season. So this happened just this past year. Right. So to your point, either something has been rotten there for a while or it got rotten and it's on Fitzgerald not to have, A, noticed it, B, rooted it out, and C, enabling it. Mm-hmm. Like you just can't have that, mm-hmm. especially in today's age. Oh. Like it's gonna come out. Yeah. Well, look at New Mexico Whether State. Whether it's through social media uh-huh. or a news outlet, it's gonna come out. Yeah. Well, with the ubiquitous nature of smartphones, it takes not very long. And yeah. And cancel culture is a real. Well, thing. and I was gonna say, and these kids have power now too. Oh yes. Like I, they're getting nil money, and so so I mean, in a lot of ways, they're very untouchable at this point. So if they have a beef and a legit beef, it's going to get out. Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. All right, so yeah, technical foul on uh, on Pat Fitzgerald. You got to you got to be on top of this stuff. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. All right, we will come back on the other side. I want to get into a little bit about the Utah Jazz. A summer league here in Salt Lake is done. The Jazz getting ready to take part in uh, the Las Vegas summer league. But also, Michelle, I, I don't know how much you like contract talk, but they, the Jazz made an it. offer this morning. <laughs> the, I, I can understand that because I, I work with a guy, PK. He, the business of sports is not his thing, but this one kind of funny. They actually put out they 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 have offered an offer sheet to a restricted free agent, and the way they have structured this contract, it's for Philadelphia, the 76ers. Mm-hmm. Well, either uh, Joel Embiid is going to put up, or he's going to shut up, and it could affect his, one of his teammates potentially next season, money wise. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that next. That's a tease for you on the other side. This is ninety-seven point five FM. Uh, yeah, ninety-seven point FM, the KSL Sports Zone. <laughs> I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.